When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's weekly news and talk show about what's new, new cool we're talking about in the world of books and reading. <laughs> Newell, what's new in the world of books and reading. Um, today is Thursday, July 14th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky coming to you from bookriot.com. Uh, Happy Crawdads Day, Rebecca! You got your ticket to the show is tonight. It, are you gonna are you gonna go to the? Day? Are you gonna go at midnight tonight, or are you gonna go at eight a.m. tomorrow? I, it's one of those two. It must be one of those. Two. I'm gonna go never, Jeff. I'm going mm. never. I am sure that I will end up watching this when it's like on cable. Are I you for real? You will. Margaritas. Okay, I was gonna ask you under what circumstances would you watch this? It's on TNT. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> You've got the flu. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, P- probably something like that is the, those would be the right circumstances for mm. me to be open to it. But I probably, in all honesty, I'd probably just watch When Harry Met Sally again. Hard, hard, hard. In these days of streaming, it's hard to get stuck with, uh, you know, watching The Price is Right. Um, it's true. I-, I can only imagine what being sick is like now. Must be much so much better than we were kids. And like, I guess I'll watch <laughs> Press Your Luck three in a row. <laughs> Listen, I have fond memories of that, but the kids today don't even, they don't know. They just know you stay home and then you get to watch what, like all of Obi-Wan or something in one day. Yeah. I mean, your memories are fond, but your memories could always be fonder, Rebecca. That's what they don't tell you. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, (laughs) Let's see what's coming. Also, we didn't talk about this at all. Um, Speaking of movies getting savagely reviewed like Crawdads, I have been reading a little bit of the reviews of, Mm -hmm. of Crawdads. This persuasion adaptation that's on Netflix starring Dakota Johnson is getting absolutely raped. <laughs> Have you seen any of this? No. I think I was vaguely aware that there mm. was a persuasion adaptation starring Dakota Johnson, but I'm so not in the Jane Austen universe right. that it is just not something I've been really paying any attention to at all. I guess this is my surprised face. Well, apparently they've done the thing that they did to the Emily Dickinson show that you know you stand for, and every day you're uh-huh. texting me about how much I should like it and how wrong I am and getting tattoos with dashes and Haley Stanford. They've fleabagged it. Right. That's no. kind of what's happened. And I don't know if it's just that the Austin people don't like it. I mean, these are professional reviews, which I don't think tend to be, I don't know. They're not going to stand like that. They're not going to be too worried about the Austin. There are good it's... Austin adaptations like Clueless and other things Yeah. that don't, oh, actually, that's not Austin, is it? Or was that supposed to, yeah, that one's supposed to be Austin. Yeah, it's Austin 10 Things I Haven't Used as Shakespeare. Yeah. And I think it just doesn't work for whatever reason. I, I kind of want to watch 10 Minutes for Vibe Check. Um, sure. Because I'm not really sure what's going on there. Well, I, it looks beautiful. It's a high production value, so it's a shame if it's it's bad. But anyway, not a great I'm, week for literary adaptations. All I'm saying. Interesting. I'm really curious about that because I felt like what they did with Dickinson over at Apple TV was like pretty unique and also really appropriate for who Emily Dickinson was and like how ahead of her time she was and that she was a queer person who couldn't be out and the way that they incorporate that into the story and like bring modern music into it like do not send me your letters about how jane austen was very progressive for her time i too minored in english like Mm -hmm. i got you but i think it's a little bit tougher of a sell to make a jane austen anything feel like updated and edgy to make anything jane austen feel edgy i think is a challenge and maybe it worked for dickinson because the story was about her life it was not trying to take a novel and make it into That's something edgy and fun and updated. I don't know. I'd have to check out maybe the 10-minute the vibe check of Persuasion. But that's that's interesting to me. I, don't, I wonder if, like, they saw how well Dickinson did or if they were working on this before and just, like, what if we made it weird and updated? But I think that's it's unusual for it to be done as well as Dickinson was. So I guess I'm not super surprised that another version of something like that isn't quite as good. I think if you're there for the Austin, you want the Austin vibes, right? And that's not what you get. With Dickinson, at least, yeah. at the very least, you're like, I'm not sure what I'm going to get. Am I going to get 
Henry James, <laughs> late 19th century, walking around in Moore. Uh, exactly. Now I'm really like, confusing my vibes. Like but. bonnets and suitors is not my yeah. vibe. And so mm-hmm. like ladies in big dresses riding in carriages, you can make that my vibe. Like if Wiz Khalifa is driving the carriage like he is yeah. on Dickinson, that's why that works for me. But yeah, ladies in bonnets seems to work well enough on their own for most of the folks who are like super into Jane Austen. You are going for that vibe. And so if the vibe got shaken up, I can also see why the mm-hmm. audience might not be. A big fan of that. Uh, anyway, so brief detour and things we don't like, which we don't like to spend much, too much time on. But it's interesting in in the gold rush of adaptations that continues apace. This is a not not the week you're you're looking for. All right, mm-hmm. let's do a sponsor break and we'll come back here in a sec. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of V Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Uh, Feedback, reading group guides, lots of feedback about this. And I would say on the whole that we had a lot of people say, I do use reading group guides. We didn't have anyone say, how dare you besmirch the great (laughs) institution. But I understand a little bit more. Some is a couple couple things that in my um, solipsism didn't think about were, were these. One is... If you're running a book club for like a store or a library mm, okay. and you've got like strangers sitting around, you're you're grateful for anything, right, that you can hang something totally. on, right? Totally, totally get, that. get that. Thousand percent get that. The other thing I forget is that many book clubs, speaking of objects, are there for the hang and the book itself mm-hmm. is just kind of the the sand around which the the pearl of discussion and camaraderie, um, I don't know what the verb of... <laughs> Builds around. You get yourself into a metaphor. Yeah, I got myself life. into a marine biology <laughs> corner here. I don't know. Uh, slimes around. Uh, that's how <laughs> pearls form. It's a process of slime, a crude sliming. Um, that this is just to get us going, and then we'll take it off. So, like, we don't. We're not trying to understand the book, right? We're okay. not trying to really dive deeply into whatever we're reading. We want so we want to talk about it, but we're here for. Things in addition to that, where what I'm That's... talking about a book, when you and I are talking about a book, I guess the only book club I have anymore, we're really trying right. to understand the book, right? Yeah, I guess I thought that if you were doing a book club that was pretty overtly for the hang, that hmm. that would be an overt enough part of it that it could just be like, so what'd, what what did y'all think about the book? And not even pretend to get into the questions if it really is like we want to kind of nod at the book and then mostly just catch up on our lives, which I think is a totally valid use of a book club, um, if that's your cover for getting for everybody getting together. But I guess it's it, it's interesting and surprising to me that folks would want the book club questions for that when it's like, we all know we're not really here to talk about the book. Well, I think book clubs exist on a spectrum, as I'm saying, all the way from really wanting to get into the book, book mm-hmm. to actually we're drinking wine and the book will sit on the table in front of us and no one has read it. Somewhere in the middle, there are people that want the hang, but they also do want to talk about the book. And so the reading group guide question. Yeah, a little structure. It has a little bit of structure and you have to do work ahead of time, right? It's there. No one has in charge of the questions because if That's you want a true. few questions, so it may not necessarily be about the quality that, but they exist, right? It's like um, peanuts at a bar. It's like, I you wouldn't be shelling peanuts at home by myself, <laughs> right? 
But if I'm here, well, they're there and I'm kind of hungry. So this will do. They have a function. That's fine. That makes sense to me. I went down to my Barnes and Noble this morning to get my special book club copy of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow so that we can read that for the Patreon next week. And I had to like refrain from flipping to the back and looking at the reading group That's the first thing I did. I I harried it. I I did went to the back of the Robert Ludlum book to see how the reading group ended. (laughs) Well, I guess I'll cheat too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So thank you all for writing in. So there. Yes. I guess good job reading group guides or you do the thing um, that many people ask you to. I guess there's probably a lot of people that don't use them, but there were enough people, enough use cases that my uh, sally forth against reading group guides was not ill-considered, but not fully considered. And so, yeah, it's there we go. It's nice to hear more about that because this is also the only book club I am a member of anymore. Um, (laughs) And we clearly have our own idiosyncratic methods. Yeah, I read Tomorrow and Tomorrow Tomorrow kind of forgetting that we're not talking about it today. It's it's next week, but anyway, Mm -hmm. I made my notes. Um, My book club questions would be much different and not really book club questions. But uh, I thought, you know, there's a couple of interesting ones in there. but, you know, so I'll withhold my thoughts on tomorrow and tomorrow, tomorrow. I texted you something about it without, this is called mm-hmm. a tease for the Patreon episode next week. The one we're doing today, speaking of teases, is we're doing an, an AMA response. So we had the Patreon members submit questions, kind of like 24, 25. We're going to try to blast mm-hmm. through them and go check it out on patreon.com book right podcast. If you're interested in becoming a member and uh, listening to that. Um, so... All this stuff about genderqueer, the book that's being oh, savagely yeah, uh-huh. attacked. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy this book. I want to go okay. pick it up, check it out. Might be appropriate for my kids someday. It seems like it's a little bit older for them right now. But I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to see it in person and then maybe, you know, contribute to the cause by picking one up. Couldn't I can't get a hold of a copy of the paperback. Oh. Sold out, back ordered. And I was like, of course. This, pro- this right. is Oni Press. It's not a huge press. It's gotten a lot of publicity. And the thing that happens seems to happen. And again, almost every author you're going to ever hear would prefer not to be banned. But if there right. is a silver lining to stuff like this is that people like me and other people will go buy the book. And I, I've decided that we need a different name. We've been using Streisand Effect, but I'm going to call this the Catch 451. We've got a Catch 451 situation here, <laughs> okay. which is the more you try to ban a book, the more people want to read it. So I think mm-hmm. Genderqueer has officially been Catch 451 at this okay. point. And to the point where... Apparently, you can get a hardcover now. Maybe this is what it'll do. Oni Press released a hardcover version on July 5th. And I don't know if they were going to do this anyway or if there's a part of cap- capitalizing the wrong word, supporting the book, getting more out there. Um, if a bunch of people are going to buy it, maybe we'll want something that will hold up, right? Not just a paperback because it's a graphic novel. So it's a hardcover, a little more expensive, but that you can buy now. So I might cool. go pick okay. that up. So it went full circle there. But um, I'm going to enter in Catch 451 to our lexicon so we can talk about... I want to go look at some of these books that get talked about. Uh, the, the Court of Thorn and Roses does not need to get no. Catch 451 because those <laughs> books are selling like crazy. Um, but we can find that yeah. there. Speaking of books that's selling like crazy, the quick... Well, do I want to do this now? So I have a list. Publishers Weekly did their mid-year best-selling oh. books of the year. Okay. What do you want to, where do you want to do this? Do you want to do a couple more news things? Let's do news things. Talk, talk to me about Let's, our next poet laureate, and then we'll come back yes. to the best of the year stuff before we do that. Our next poet laureate, to my delight, and you know many other people, is Ada Limon, who, uh, if you are not a reader of poetry, writes, I think, really wonderful, very sharp, intimate-feeling poetry, um, also accessible, which... I have seen tossed around, mm. I guess, by some poetry snobs. Lit snobs in general are not always a fan of the, the idea. The Mary that, Olivers of the world. Yeah, yeah, right. That that poetry especially should be accessible. Like, uh, and and that was the thing that put me off of reading poetry for quite a long time. Was some encounters with poetry that were difficult, and it's also fine if poetry is difficult, but that made me feel excluded from you know really just being able to like relate to mm, what was happening mm. there you had to work for it i did not have enough exposure or the right tools to understand that kind of poetry it just put me off poetry for years and ada limon i think is a really nice like it's yeah. not quite as soft or accessible as mary oliver and like i say soft and accessible with all the love in the world because mary oliver as is well established is my home girl mm. um 
but Ada Limon is really, really wonderful. Her new collection is called The Hurting Kind, um, but she has many other poetry collections. And if you are on the fence or just unsure, or maybe you just want to hear her read some of her own poetry, um, she was on an episode of the Ezra Klein podcast like a month or so ago. I think before this was known, he was just having her on because he likes her work um, and they go through talking about some of her work and the evolution of how she has written and what she writes about how she brings personal moments and memories into uh, some of her poems and then he has her read some of those pieces aloud it was just really lovely it's a, I think it's about a 90 minute show um, I enjoyed driving around for those couple of days having that be the <laughs> thing that was coming on in my car instead of like a new analysis of some political nightmare it was like here's Ezra Klein talking with Ada Limon um, so you can find that and get a sample of her I'm sure there are other videos but that came to mind for me um I think all the congratulations to her yeah. it's a wonderful choice I we it's funny we were talking about poet laureate in connection to the Jesmyn Ward thing last yes, week yeah. and um this feels right this feels like mm-hmm. it, well, whoever the Ada let me I don't it's, uh, I'm trying to think like Cassandra Cisneros for this the center mm. for not center for fiction prize the library of congress fiction prize Ada Lamone's been around a while. Like she has, mm-hmm. you know, volumes going back to the 70s. So she's both active, but also established at the same time. And I think you're right. I think for this kind of pick, which is big platform, upper middle brow is kind of the right way to go. Frankly, that's where I live yeah. most of my, you know, yes. kind of artistic life. Yeah. There's nothing think, wrong with that. Yeah. Upper um, middle but, brow. Like mm-hmm. she's mid-career. I think we're going to have hopefully a couple more decades or maybe many more mid-career? decades. Mid-career? You would say mid-career. I, I guess I would say yeah. longer than that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, really? Matter. Yeah. Well, well if you've been writing for... She was born in 1976. Oh, maybe I, I must have. I was like, I was surprised because I must have been looking at a publication date and confusing with her birthday. Yeah, mid-career. Oh, okay. Right, okay, yeah. okay. That was, yeah, she's mid-career. That makes sense. So almost, if she's 76, that's almost exactly Jesmyn Ward's age, right? Wasn't Jesmyn Ward, or isn't Jesmyn Ford 45? Um, so that would make, yeah, because I was born in 78 and I'm 44. So interestingly, mm-hmm. the same the same age, but this one feels right on the money and, and Ward felt a little early. Um, not to relitigate something we agreed upon yeah. last week, but I was thinking about that as well. Of like, if and I think you're onto something, or you were onto something mm-hmm. last week. Of like, if we just called the Library of Congress thing the like fiction laureate, yeah. it would be different It'd than be different. than labeling it as a you know lifetime yeah. achievement, right? Or even just getting the lifetime achievement out of the citation, everything else would be fine. It's that that lifetime achievement mm-hmm. that we both got hung up on uh, for good or for ill. All right, let's do book right. Um, we released our best of 2022 so far list. Um, mostly this is just so you guys, y'all can peruse it. Uh, ours is a little bit different than a lot of lists and maybe mm-hmm. any one that I know of. Do you know of another one where individual writers sign their blurb? Oh, I think maybe, well, the, the, when the millions did their big previews and best books of the year, they used to. I don't know if they're right. still doing that, if they run them through PW now mm-hmm. since publish, since PW owns the millions, but they did used to. And it yeah. would be like, yeah, this was Emily St. John Mandel's two favorite books of the year or whoever else the contributors were. Mm. But of the of the other book sites I read, no. And as we were talking about, I think, offline yesterday, often these lists come out without blurbs. Yes. It's, you know, especially if you're looking at retailers, if you look at like Amazon's best of the year, Barnes and Noble's best of the year so far, it's just the list of books. And you're like, why? But I want to know why you picked them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I think so ours is lovely. ours has a blurb and each writer signs it. And then there's no, you know, Sharifa and Vanessa who, you know, Sharifa, director of content and Vanessa, our mm-hmm. editor, they're, they're not assigning these out. There's no sort of, we need someone to cover this. These individual writers pick one that they want to write about. And so you get, I think, a more diverse in many ways kinds of list. And you mm-hmm. get more idiosyncratic choices. And also it spans, we don't break it out by genre. So there's there's picture books here, um, range, ranging from picture books all the way to, I don't know, was to The Candy House, right? This is probably the yeah. most art writing book that's on here. Interesting, mm-hmm. uh, Ada Limon's most recent book is on here, The Hurting Kind. Yeah. Connie Pan picked it for her favorite book of the year. You're also going to get Fantasy, The Swimmers, a bunch of stuff we've talked about, um, mm-hmm. Romance. So it does, at a snapshot, represents what Book, book Riot does differently, I think, than really still anybody else that's out there, kind of putting them all mm-hmm. into a mix. And sometimes we'll separate and sometimes we won't. And it's there's a fluidity to it, and this is really represented here. Romance, young adult, mystery thriller, there's horror, fantasy, children's all sort of put in together here. Um, 
I don't know what else to say about this. There, there's a combination of ones you would guess and ones I haven't even heard of, which is always yeah. a surprise to me. And I love it for that. I continue to yeah. always look forward to this, our own list, because I don't know what's on it until it comes out these days. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about as well, that I don't know what's going to be on this list until it's published. There are always a few of my favorites make it and then a bunch of stuff that maybe has been on my radar, but I hadn't decided if I was going to mm-hmm. read it or not. And seeing a contributor endorse it might put me over the edge. But then I always discover books that hadn't bubbled up to my radar at all through this tool. And we get paid to pay attention yes. to these things. So yeah. I imagine that for most folks who are just interested readers out there in the world looking for their next books to read, there's a lot of discovery potential mm. in this list that does the nice thing of these are tr- the people here are trusted sources for you. You trust Book Riot and you understand the ethos of what we're doing and how that list gets made. Um, but there is always something surprising and interesting to find. And usually when this comes out and then when the site's best books of the year yeah. list comes out at the end of the year, I find myself having to like really have a conversation with myself about how much I can actually read and how many mm-hmm. of these that look good I think I can reasonably get to sometime soon um, but it's it always exposes me to something that I either hadn't heard of or wouldn't have picked up for myself but seeing one of our writers endorse it helps me yeah. get there so you can go check that out notable absences I guess just from our own conversation my own list no sea of tranquility here no mm-hmm. the 90s no, um, bup, 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 to paradise. Um, but that's, you know, that's fine. I think this, this does lay bare by having individuals sign it, how impossible this is to do for one person <laughs> to do, or even a group of people to do. Cause I've mm-hmm. had a very good front list years, a very good front list year reading so far, both, both in terms of volume and quality. And I've read one, two, I'm just counting quickly, three, four five six six of these six of 20 it looks like it's 20 it's not named two three i've read three of these yeah Yeah. and yeah my other favorites as you were saying didn't make the list and the day i know the day that the editors start working on this with the contributors is always really fun (laughs) because like a a blank google doc gets dropped into slack and it's like three two one claim your faves and if there's something that like five people wanted it's a first come first serve situation so that's interesting too in that like maybe five people wanted the new Ada Limon book and the first person claims right. it and those those other four people then go and pick it's kind of forced choice voting yes <laughs> like, it is, it um, is then they so. go and pick what was second on their list if nobody else has claimed that and then at, at some point somebody has to go like oh well my top three have all been chosen do I want to go to my fourth pick or do I want to stay off of this list and um, but you always get I think a really interesting slice of of people's reading lives and i just i find that part fascinating too like people are out people that we talk to most of the time like every day over on our slack are having these whole reading lives that are completely different from what i'm doing and it's i love it it's wonderful (laughs) yeah it's it's really interesting and i don't know like you could do versions of this that would turn out different lists would be they be more accurate more interesting better no they would just be different probably Mm -hmm. um i guess the one if i could a b test the universe just for my own you know reasons I wouldn't mind having the contributors that are willing to do it list their 10 favorite books of the year and then the ones with the most votes get a slot. That would mm-hmm. be the other way I would do it. A little sort of between Goodreads crowdsourcing. I don't want that. I don't want regression to the mean. I want there to be a particular spin on this. There's enough yeah. lists of best books of the year that they all can do something a little bit different without doing that. Um, but among our idiosyncratic field of wildflowers, what, what bouquets of picks start to appear? Um, and that would be nice. And I don't know if that metaphor made sense, but I don't get to say bouquet very often. What a lovely word um, <laughs> that is. Uh, okay, then we're going to go best-selling books of the year. Okay. And, okay, here's all the books that um, are also on the best-selling books of the year list so far for adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the list. That was the crossover. We're, uh, we're done. Okay. That's all of them. Zero. Zero of those Zero? books. That's, oh, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I was trying to do it for effect, and I screwed it up. There is one book. <laughs> <laughs> That's on that list of best books of the year 2022 so far. Uh-huh. Let me just double check this. Is it Book Lovers by Emily Henry? It is Book Lovers. I'm looking at adult fiction. Okay. Um, and then also children's fiction, which is a very tough hang. It's mostly picture books at this point, plus one cat book, cat cat kid. We're not going to spend any time on that because it's not that interesting. Yeah, Book Lovers. Emily Henry is the number 14 best-selling adult print book of the year, caveat, caveat, with 293,000 mm-hmm. copies sold thus far okay 
Um, I'm assuming we're seeing some Colleen Hoover. Yeah, I don't know what's... I don't even know how this is fun to do right now. And that's not a besmirchment of... This is a TikTok list. It's it's just not even close. I'm going to... Colleen Hoover has five of the top ten, Rebecca. Yeah, that's not even a fun guessing game anymore. (laughs) It's not. Number one, it ends with us with 925,000 copies in print. Number two, we get a little bit of a break for us with Where the Crawdads Sing um, <laughs> at 716,000 copies. Then Verity by Colleen Hoover. Okay. Then Atomic Habits by James Clear, which we've been told mm-hmm. is a TikTok thing as well. Mm-hmm. Then we get Taylor Jenkins' read debut novel, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Then we get Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. Then we get Reminders of Him by Colleen Hoover. And I think the first non-TikTok book is Run, Rose, Run, the, the Dolly the Dolly oh, Parterson uh-huh. collab. And then we get Atlas of the Heart, the Brene Brown yep. mm-hmm. juggernaut, shrink wrap juggernaut show title. <laughs> and then number 10, Colleen Hoover. Number 11, Body Keeps the Score. Okay. Number 12, Emily Henry's um, The People We Made on Vacation. Hmm. The Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz, the only person of color on this list. Book Lovers, The Love Hypothesis by Ali Hazelwood, which I'm given to understand is a TikTok thing. Number 16, the bull, the bull, the bull, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse oh, mm-hmm. continues. It's, it's now a modern classic for children's literature. It just has sold 2 million copies since Barnes & Noble made it their book of the year. Wow. Okay. Song of Achilles, Madeline Miller. TikTok. The Mothers and Dider, Daughters of the Bible Speak. That is God stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, there's one of these every year. There is. Um, 19, Red-Handed by Pete, Peter Schweitzer, which I believe is some right-wing stuff, I think, about stealing elections. Or maybe it's the left-wing one. Anyway, it's a political book. I didn't get too far into it because I didn't care. And then number 20, Life Force by Tony Robbins et al., which you love uh-huh. to see, the et al. Yeah, well, like you that. know, left-wing political books don't make bestseller lists. Not usually. <laughs> Not usually. So there's the list. Okay. Talk about a list not for me. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not here to whatever um, about it. But boy, it is a... It's... I I, I was talking to Clint earlier. Um, Our, you know, our colleague, co-founder, does basically all the stuff Rebecca and I don't want to do. (laughs) That's his job description. I don't think since the height of Oprah have we seen a story like this in books. I think we're to that point. I think it's, it's... This is... I've... I've not been in denial, but looking at it like this and then actually seeing the numbers in aggregate, I don't know. It's it's it feels, it's um it's a it's a monster. It, it feels well, like it's the, a hurricane, whatever. Yeah, it feels like the closest we've been to some kind of literary monoculture since we actually had monoculture yeah. with Oprah. Yeah. Um it's yeah. definitely bigger, as we've said, than any of the celebrity book clubs could dream of no Reese books on there by the way just to put that out there very it's very interesting and that it's so that is so concentrated around at least right now a a couple voices Mm -hmm. is also very interesting um which I mean that's how the Oprah stuff if you really step back that's how the Oprah stuff went she picked a book every month for several years or at least once a quarter for several years. I don't remember the exact cadence. And really only a handful of them became big enough in the long run that we remember them as big Oprah books. You know, I was you just had... looking at the list. We're going to do, this is going to be a, I think maybe a Patreon bonus episode mm-hmm. to look at the height of Oprah's clout and compare it to, maybe this yeah. won't be the zenith of TikTok's clout, but if we compare it now, I mean, A Million Little Pieces sold 2.7 million copies in print. Mm-hmm. I guess and It Ends With Us could do that. And it's, you know, I guess I mean, it's it could interesting because the Oprah stuff really was pretty focused around upper middle brow and the yes. TikTok selections are, I would say, like solidly middle brow, which is all, is not a pejorative. It's commercial. Yeah, commercial it's commercial fiction. fiction yeah, right. Right. Um, and for, I guess, for Oprah to have managed to sell so much, it's hard to sell a whole lot of copies of an upper middle brow, like mm-hmm. literary fiction work. The market for that is generally smaller. And so I, I would think we'd see some of these TikTok books overtake what the height yeah. of Oprah books did at some point, just because the market for a commercial, a work of commercial fiction is bigger and the TikTok audience is bigger and I think more powerful than what the Oprah audience was at its height. Well, like all algorithms, 
that we've seen as we've been doing this the last 10, 11 years, 12 years, is what the algorithms, the social media algorithms and recommendation, the peaks are both taller and smaller in terms of the number of people it affects. I mean, Oprah was yes. picking 12 different people a year, essentially. This is, at the very top, five of the 10 are Colleen Hoover right mm -hmm. there. So it's a, you know, and we, we covered the story of the, from NBD Bookscan about how much it's a winner's game of, you know, the top 10 or 12 were, do, were reaping like 70, 74% of the sales as they were configuring it. And that feels kind of right. How long is the long tail? How many people are, how many books are selling two, three, four, five, six thousand copies more than would have ever, they would have otherwise? Or like, you know, what's, what's the number of copies a book would need to sell to make a difference in the author's life where they can maybe write full time? Like 15, 20, 30,000 copies in a year? Hmm. I just don't know how many of those um, there are. Uh, even, I guess, what, um, at the height of when the third Fifty Shades book came out, I wonder what that list looked like. Because mm. she could only have three books on there because there were only three right. out. Right. But did that sell two and a half million? I mean, I need to do, I need to, this is why, God, book sales. I, you know, I it's know. my new ebook pricing thing. <laughs> I Just, know I, God, like, Just this is us. interesting. This is important. And it's completely inscrutable. And you've got to pay like three grand. And, oh, God, it drives me crazy. It is. And, Ugh. you know, even just for real industry inside baseball, like I want these numbers for a lot of reasons, but those the Fifty Shades of Grey sold so many in such a concentrated period of time that Penguin Random House gave everybody $5,000 as a bonus. As a like bonus. They just had so much extra cash. And I mean, Colleen Hoover, some of her, those books are published through Amazon. And so there is not a publisher to like give bonuses to people behind them. But Taylor Jenkins Reid, big publisher, Emily yeah. Henry, big five. Um, are they... Is there a point where TikTok could create the kind of phenomenon that a publisher would have had those kinds of sales and would do the same kind of thing? Would publishers yeah. even do that now? I think that was 20, I don't know, 2012, 2013, right. when the big Fifty Shades of Grey thing happened and PRH gave those bonuses. Is there a number? It, could a book mm. sell enough copies today that that would even still happen is a thing that I've wondered about. Yeah. So it's when it comes to book sales right now, it's, it's TikTok's world and we're all just living in it for good mm -hmm. or for ill right now. And, and adult fiction is the one category, and this is the other takeaway from this piece in Publishers Weekly. I don't think this is signed. Uh, John Mayer, pardon me, in Publishers Weekly. Um, it's the only category that's up year over year over 2021. Adult fiction's yeah. up 4.6%. Is every, did I get, let me make sure I'm double checking that. Everything else is down over last year, still up over 2019, um, but we've come off the everyone's at home reading or at least buying book vibes. I mean, adult nonfiction is down 10%. Kids nonfiction down nine and point eight percent. Young adult fiction down three percent. Young adult nonfiction down three and a half percent. Kids fiction down seven and a half percent. Hardcovers down ten point four percent. Even with all, all, I mean, almost all of these books, all the Hoovers, mm -hmm. Crawdads now. Um, almost all of these are what? Are, what's in hardcover that's on this list? Well, I, to do I this wonder real about quick. like the YA dip. I wonder yeah. if some of that can be attributed to folks that were reading a lot of YA last year are also maybe likely to be on TikTok. And if they are reading Colleen Hoover and Emily Henry and adult fiction that they saw recommended on TikTok by other you know, yeah. teens or young adults that scans, maybe they've just shifted. You read up, you know, yeah. read up, read, read up a uh, age bracket. I mean, on the YA mm -hmm. list, the, number one is a good girl, girl's guide to murder. I'm given to understand that might be a TikTok thing too. I just assume it is now. Someone told me <laughs> yeah. differently. 263,000. The next one is um, The Fourth Closet, Five Nights at Freddy's. I think that's a middle grade graphic novel that has a bit of an online following. It could be TikTok too, for all I know. They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. Was, he's one of those people on the list that we talked about, a, a mm -hmm. TikTok phenomenon. Another Five Nights at Freddy books by Scott Cawthon. And then The Summer I Turned Pretty series by Jenny Han has a couple books, and that's a Netflix joint. I mean, is it, a Nef is it on Netflix, The Summer I Turned Pretty? It's a streamer. It's an adaptation. Oh, it's a, it's a streamer. I think maybe yeah. Amazon has that one. I don't yeah, remember I, for I, sure. I'm just saying yeah. that. It's like Xerox. I'm just saying Netflix yep. for all the streaming stuff. Girl in Pieces by Kathleen Glasgow, The Outsiders and We Were Liars. Maybe some of those. Those are also perennial sellers for YA, mm -hmm. so I don't know. You know, um, throw those I think We Were Liars out. was a TikTok thing because that's yeah. been out for several years. Yeah, it, so it's that's the story. And I the durability, right? Like Colleen Hoover's been on five of the ten for like six months now. Mm -hmm. Um to the point where it's kind of, I don't know, it's so 
huge and durable and massive that's also now kind of uninteresting um, at the same time to, to talk I, about any of them. I wonder, I'd love to hear from our bookseller and librarian folks yeah. about what you're selling to people who come in after they've read Colleen Hoover or the Emily Henry, like after they read the thing that TikTok sold to them. Are they coming in asking for the next thing that you recommend or is it just a reliance on TikTok? Like, I remember my bookseller days when Twilight was big that we had active conversations about like, okay, so here are a couple other good things that Mm -hmm. somebody who comes in and their kid just devoured, you know, Twilight or they just devoured Twilight. Here's a couple other good things you could point them to. Maybe it's like YA romances or maybe it's a vampire story or something that picks up on one of the hooks of those. But I wonder, I've just been really curious about where those readers of these big TikTok phenomena are going next? Or are they just going to another TikTok yep, phenomenon book? Yeah, I think that's book? what it is. Yeah. I mean, I've spent several hour plus long sessions over the last few months looking at TikTok and Instagram videos. Now, mm-hmm. I've got the new Instagram feed in my whatever app, and I hate the format. But you can clearly see them trying to clone the TikTok experience. And there are a lot of, so you've read the TikTok book. So you've read Colleen Hoover. Uh, Um, There is a lot of that going on, as far as I can tell. Um, We're going to, I'm going to have to read It Ends With Us at some point. Like, not even as a joke. I'm just going to, or not not as a joke, as a a, a bit, as a a content segment. I'm going to have to do it. I need to do it at this point. I think one of the other differences, too, in mainstream, I guess you could argue maybe TikTok book culture is mainstream at this point, or is the mainstream. But outside of it, you know, is anyone talking about it ends with us? It doesn't feel like, Mm-mm-mm. you know, it doesn't feel like it has much penetration beyond that world. That It's a big snow globe, but it still feels like that it's a snow globe world, even though it's bigger yeah, than the other world. I don't know. I don't know how to I've do been this. In, I've been in a lot of airports lately, yeah. and I'm not seeing it around. It hasn't like bubbled into that threshold or bubbled mm. over that threshold yet of like when I saw, you know, three people all reading Fifty Shades of Grey while getting my hair cut one time or everybody around the pool was reading girl with the dragon tattoo on a particular summer God, girl with the dragon trip. tattoo that was huge that was really we didn't huge. talk about the beach reads i had read girl and the dragon tattoo at the beach too and i mean oh, yeah. it kept That's my right. attention i'll tell you that mm-hmm. much um yeah. right now all right let's do another sponsor break and come do a couple other stories and talk about recent reading another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc let's do a reality show about authors. Um, I thought this was like maybe an April's Fool's thing. If you had told me this was an April's Fool things, I would have believed you. Um, so it's called America's Next Great Author. The claims to be the, this is a piece that um, unsigned. So one of our editors put this together as a news piece. But Kwame Alexander is going to host it. You're going to, um, writers will pitch their book to a panel of judges, including Jason Reynolds. And the most promising writer in this pilot episode will win 2500 then six finalists will compete to finish their books in a month while doing live wire challenges. I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, the final prize isn't mentioned at this point. Okay, just forget <laughs> about the specifics here. Um, you and I do this professionally and will not one, watch one minute of this, right? Not, I mean, that's what we're talking about at this point. Uh, right? Yeah, not at all. I, I'm amused by this, I think, on several levels. And one of them is that every writer I know talks about how insufferable being a writer is. And like, you don't want to be around me when I'm writing. Why would I want to be around other? So like, wh- why would anybody want to watch a bunch of writers write? <laughs> Like, also, what are the live wire challenges? Also, if you're finishing a book in a month, do you have time to complete live wire challenges? And are they completely unrelated to writing? Like, what are they? Describe this bald cypress. I don't know. I don't. (laughs) That's a Wonder Boys reference for all of you out there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Is there a version of this that's fun? I'm going to assume for a moment my my Bayesian priors this won't work, and they're shooting a pilot, so they're probably you know there's a streaming services maybe Discovery Diamond Plus Max. Sure, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, everyone's sure. Whatever. Oh, a version of this that's interesting. I I don't know what this would be. 
I, I can't figure it out. Can't yeah, and twenty five hundred dollars is like a, a a very low prize yeah. for a thing like this, especially if it's you spend six or spend a month completing a book. I just I, I, I feel well. Know. I don't. I don't know. Also, I feel like we've. TV production is hard enough for TV producers, but for writers to be like, we're going to make a reality show. Like, that's bold. That's <laughs> a bold move. You'll be pitching your idea to our panel of renowned judges, a roaring bookish audience. I don't know what that means. And Where? Where cameras. are you getting your roarish book? I don't know. There's, there's not enough Where? cocaine in the world, I wouldn't think, <laughs> for that. Um, interesting to see. If you're interested, there's a link in the show notes. Godspeed. M- m- you know... Uh, there's enough reality television out there that's not for me mm-hmm. and kind of all of it, frankly, at yep. this point. But maybe maybe there's a version of this that will work. Um, I just can't see this this working very well. Uh, and, if you want to be on it, they're doing a casting call. So yeah. you can sign up. You can apply. The pilot filming this fall in San Francisco, uh, October 30th. They'll be okay. signing that. So. Uh, yeah, don't, uh, these talented amateurs have to start their books from scratch on day one and finish by the end of 30 days. I think, so if you, if I'm just imagining it real quick, one thing you could do is think of it like, you know, Top Chef or anything like that, where we got to make a dish and here's all the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And it is not unreasonable to say, well, you can't even eat the food, right? So you're watching the judges eat stuff. Right. But I think that's a lot easier to imagine and see than type, type, type on MacBook. And then are they going to read pieces to you out loud? Are they going to sit there and read it? Like, what a tough hang this that could turn into. I, I just don't know. I just don't. I, I don't understand how they're going to relay something about the thing being judged in a way that's interesting to the audience. Um And most first drafts are bad. I mean, that's another thing. It's like, I, yeah, is this... Oof. Is this like writers having FOMO about how like every all the other creatives get competition shows and we don't like there's music competition shows, there's dancing competition shows, there are cooking competition shows, there's a crafting competition show and maybe writers just want in on that. Uh, Do you remember Project Greenlight? I do. Yes. Were you in on that? I was in on the first season. Me too. Project Greenlight was a Bravo joint in which mm-hmm. someone got their movie picked up by Affleck and Damon and made into a movie. And this notably was also the uh, <laughs> the, the genesis of the Shia phenomenon, the Shia roller coaster. Oh, that, right. That, the, That's right. The, the Battle of Shaker Heights was the name of the screenplay. I remember it now. And they, the reality show, it was real. They were actually making a real movie with real financing and Affleck and Damon were there and they had producers and directors. And you saw how a movie got made. I thought that, I love the process stuff and I thought that was so mm-hmm. interesting. There's a lot more visual stuff going on here. I could see a world, again, it wouldn't be a reality show like this where it's a competition. I could see a, a docu-series where you have like six, you know, four to six au- debut authors and the series follows them from their book getting picked up by an agent to publication day. And they're in the meetings yeah. and the cover design and they talk to the agents and marketing and maybe you get some other stuff in there. I could see that working better than this. I also don't think that sure. would work, but that would make more sense to me than this. Rebecca, yeah, what do you think about that? I think you're onto something there. There's probably a niche inside one of the streaming mm-hmm. services that would that would run something like that or even take it all the way up through like they're on their first, the books are out and some of them are on book tours and some of them are doing these other things like day in the life of an author, which spoiler, not nearly as glamorous no. as you probably thought no. it was no. when, no. You, when you were a kid. Um, I, I think that, you know, you know, reading is such an internal, mostly yeah. private experience, writing even more so because really nobody else can do it for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just hard to make something that's that, internal and it requires so much process and refining because first drafts are mostly very not good into something interesting for other people to watch and like I think that's okay it's okay that the process is messy and it doesn't need to be turned into something entertaining like I don't know maybe I'm still hearkening back to some Oliver Berkman stuff like we could do with being bored a little more often (laughs) we don't need to make (laughs) 
I guess the idea would be forget about whether or not it actually turns into any any of these things. Yeah. book people like. Is it just entertaining on its own merit? Like, yeah. How, are there any products you and I use every day that start out on Shark Tank? I don't think so. Probably right. Like it's oh. the goal of that yeah. thing is to make an entertaining show, right. not not to make products that actually make it. Maybe there's a byproduct there. I, I don't know how much Cuban and Barbara Cochran really care. I've never seen a frame of this, so I think those are people that are on the show. I don't know. <laughs> the goal there is to make an entertaining show. Maybe there's a version of this where the show is entertaining. And it's not about a book getting made. I don't know. Could be. Sure. So I was surprised to see it. I guess if there's ever going to be a time for something like this to happen, it will be when we have 15 streaming services all losing a ton of money to try <laughs> to find well try something. This. Might as well try it now. All right. Let's, you want to go into Frontless Foyer before we yeah. uh, wrap up Let's here? What do you got? Frontless What's on foyer? your docket? I just last weekend, I think it was, read The Change by Kristen Miller. You told me you liked it. Tell me more about it. I did. Yeah. And it was one of your picks on our summer draft that I hadn't even heard of until you picked it. So the pitch for it is like women develop magical powers when they hit menopause. And that's kind of the story, actually. It's that's a really good slug line. And it definitely got me interested. The Mm -hmm. book itself is even I think it's more fun and has a lot more teeth. Than that, it's set um, basically in the Hamptons um, with three central characters who are all late middle-aged women who are going through menopause. Each one of them has discovered a different kind of power. One of them is like a, a botanical witch. Basically, she can grow almost anything. One is really, really strong. And another one um, is like generating her hot flashes basically like generate such heat that she can like melt things with her hands and burn stuff. And it's not done as like comic booky. But those sound like comic book kind of powers when I'm describing them. Um, They come to find out that crimes are being committed against young women in their communities. Um, Functionally, there's like sex trafficking going Mm. on in their community. And the police are not investigating it fully. Maybe the police are in on it. There's definitely some kind of conspiracy among the rich men in town. There are like flavors of... Epstein Maxwell stuff probably inspiring <laughs> all of this but they they're functionally like a trio of vigil, like vigilante justice people um, who are trying to solve the crimes and use these powers that they have developed um, later in their lives to you know make up for not make up like to make good and to protect mm-hmm. women and to try to make the world better for their daughters and the next generation of women and it's like it's just very sharply feminist it's also real satisfying really satisfying i read it the week after roe versus wade was mm. overturned and it was real satisfying to like have chan- have some writer have channeled feminist rage into actual physical power um especially characters at a point in their life where women are usually portrayed at least in popular media as having lost their power lost their social capital and that they are coming into their power in those moments and that they are understanding that because they are no longer sexual objects to the culture they can sort of put their bodies literally in the way of people who are trying to take advantage of and harm young women um it was it was really fun i don't think it like is life-changing i'm not sure it's going to make you know my best books of the year but it was one of the more fun reading experiences that i've had and i tore through it Um, and just a satisfying angry but like not preachy angry she does the she's funny it's angry it's hard to do those two things well together um it's hard to do those things well separately but she does them together very well and i really liked that so that was good sounds like a real candidate to be like a limited series on peacock oh gosh i hope i would love to see it go to like hbo where they can oh okay go up or fx which apparently you can say yes yeah fx and and dams Mm -hmm. and stuff yeah it's (laughs) edgy i think you i want Mm -hmm. it to go somewhere where it can be edgy um yeah one of them is really exploring her sexuality in a new way and it, it would be great and really satisfying to watch it feels like if you gave it to um Whoever produced the Tom Parada, Mrs. Fletcher series for HBO, like that kind of edgy suburban drama, Um, but with a little hint of magic would be good. Cool. Yeah. Um, And then just this morning, I finished Della Wed's Destiny by Tomi Obero. Debut novel. It's a gang gets back together. (laughs) So that was Mm. the hook that got me three women who were um, like best friends in college where they grew up um, in Nigeria 
have been apart for 30 years. Two of them still live in Nigeria. One has become very wealthy. Another uh, is living with her longtime partner who um, is ill. She's been caring for him. And the third had moved to New York when they were fresh out of college and she had gotten married. And they're all coming back together for one of them. Um, Her daughter is getting married. So they're coming back together for the wedding. It opens with the three of them seeing each other for the first time after decades. We get some flashbacks into the 80s of their uh, college years and the early parts of their friendship and some of the sort of history of conflict that they've had. And then it bounces back up into the present day story at the wedding. And I just loved it. I thought it was a really fun read. It's a really rich, just rich in detail of the location, of the food, of the clothing. Um, These are like a Nigerian wedding is not something that I've experienced. And I felt like she just dropped me right into it. And these three women's lives are complicated in some of the ways that like any woman's life is complicated. And then in some ways that are specific to Mm. the place and the culture that they grew up in. And it was just a really enjoyable fun read I also wouldn't be surprised to see I was thinking about like an Issa Rae adaptation of this you could do the fun thing that we're seeing in a in a lot of TV now where you have two sets of actors you know one to play the teenage versions of the characters and one to play the like late 40s early 50s versions I would love to watch something like this just a visual a really visual treat Um, I think it would probably be really fun on audio I read it in print but I really really enjoyed it cool um, three what books for me last okay. week. River of the Gods by Candace Miller, nonfiction, an account of really focused on two British ex- gentlemen explorers in the 19th century who were okay. competing to determine, at least to British satisfaction, the source of the Nile. Um, and you get exploring and colonization. And in a more contemporary where it takes colonization and slave trades and the politics and racism and Orientalism, um, but also the science and geography all into the same bucket. Um, magisterially narrated. Um, mm. I don't have the narrator's name in front of me, but it's a big, thick, engrossing, a lot of historical data. One of the nice thing, one of the virtues of doing audiobooks, especially audiobooks where it's like said in the 19th century, you've got all these wonderful letters. So you got first mm. person voices, and the letters are so amazing, um, you know, ornate bordering on Baroque descriptions of feelings and experiences and arch, um, archness. Like the, I think their names are Spythe and Burton. They're the two dudes that become the, um, the contentious adversaries to take credit for saying to the British, here's the source of the Nile. They wrote these letters back and forth that their versions of arguments like, and sir, you will notice that I am not signing this letter. Like that's that's actually the worst thing you could say. Oh, it's like the uh, Puritan sermons. Yes, right. Yeah, that like I love you know, so they, like it, that's basically the equivalent of being sort of stabbed in the eyeball at a party. That's the, like, uh-huh. they couldn't do anything worse than that. <laughs> oh, um, very dare. Yeah, how dare! Uh, and it was really great. Um, and I listened to it over the course of several days while I was doing everything, and the weather turned warm, and um, and I learned and I learned a lot too. It's a fascinating time. Uh, then I also I, I on my Libby list. I put a bunch of the best books of the year candidates and stuff. And as they come up, I've been reading them. So I got mm-hmm. to my first Douglas Stewart reading experience. For those of you who remember, um, I had never heard of Douglas Stewart before he won the Booker Prize for Shuggy Bain last year. Oh, yeah. And then Young Mungo is his new release, at least here in America. I assume it's been over. He lives in the, the U.S. now. So I'm not sure about time. Anyway, it's a, it's a 2022 release. Sit in Glasgow. The main character's name is Mungo. He's a 15-year-old living amongst working class and, I guess, below, bordering on poverty. They're always about to get evicted. Um, his mother is an alcoholic who's not around. Um, his dad is is gone. And he is realizing his sexuality in this hmm. really non-friendly to, to, to gay folks and queer folks and, and non-hetero folks, non-cis folks way. Said in the 90s. Um, and... His brother, Hamish, who has the wonderful nickname of Haha, is basically like the gang leader of the Protestants in this in this community and is always going off to fight the the Catholic boys, the Fanians, as they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very triggering. There's very bad things that happen to and around young Mungo. Um, but it doesn't, it's not, you know, he doesn't end up dead in a ditch. It turns towards a different trajectory. 
very painful. The world building, the language, the specificity is almost overwhelming. It's almost like mm. being in the rainforest jungle. Like the, the, the scenes are so detailed and the language is so carefully and, and um, exactingly wrought. It could have probably been 80 pages shorter just to cut some of the descriptions. I'm not sure I want that. Do I need mm. a pa- do I need a page describing how his mom fries an egg? Probably not, but like in terms of part of what's doing is is dropping you into this almost like a time machine is kind of what's happening. And some of it's just being there. And the story matters and the characters matter. But I think the thing that's really overwhelming here is the world building of a historical it's it's almost historical fiction. We've talked about this at nauseum, right? About what's mm-hmm. historical fiction and what's not. <laughs> but this one is very leaning to the specificity of this time and this place and these people and the conditions. And there's really wonderful character work that happens. Um, I was pretty blown away. It's it's there's a couple of things I I, I don't want to it would take a more rigorous discussion of the book to talk about. Um, I'm not sure a lot of stuff is kind of earned at the end for me. I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with it. Um, but I can see why people really like it. I, I really think it's it's something special, um, an experience of its own way. Uh, then I also read Brown Girls by Daphne um, Palacian Andredas, I believe as I said last name. It's actually on the list uh, that we just did, Book Ride's Best Books of the Year. A debut novel, and it's... Do you like first-person plural narratives rebecca do you if it's done it, well i think you would like this one because we both okay. i remember had an affinity for ferris's and then we came to the end way back in the day do you remember yes, this book we both like that yeah. one an that office one, book the, done well and the yeah virgin suicides did the first person yes. plural that hannah petard book when we were first yeah, yeah. that's okay. right so this one is set in the dregs of queens as she described it and mm. it's called it's called brown girl so it's kind of taking the whole trying to and I think part of the pleasure and problem of this book it's wrestling with to be brown girl not everyone is brown and not everyone is a girl especially now and how this really plays out like those two words are both meaningful and but not determinative and all encompassing mm-hmm. so brown ranges from really maybe not all the way east asian but maybe depending on how the white culture sees you to very, very dark-skinned black people newly from Africa. But basically, these aren't immigrant kids. These are the kids of immigrants, principally. And she's trying to capture... There is a shared experience among us. And we have different pathways, but the we of this can move from different subsets of the we and takes them from their teen... Kind of their 9, 10, 11-year-old consciousness all the way up into, say, their early kind of 40s, where some of them have kids at this point and talking about the different experiences about how I don't know it's it's really hard to describe because it doesn't hold together there is no quote-unquote brown girls that defines everybody Mm. but on the other hand it is acknowledging and I think convincingly so in a way that many of us understand cultural experience racial ethnic gendered experience of like there is some similarity there is some shared experience in relationship to white culture to men to patriarchy, to capitalism. So even if it's not crystallinely sort of, I don't know, it's, it's not a, a diamond of, of sharpness and precision of hardness. It is a consciousness mm-hmm. in a way, and much like our consciousness can have be malleable and have edges that are hard to understand and difficult to separate this from the other. I thought it was really a wonderful book. It's short, almost has a spoken word quality to it. You could imagine being performed in various Mm -hmm. sections. Um, I thought it was really, really wonderful and a kind of literary writing that pushes an edge, pushes an idea. Um, Some people will probably find it to be problematic, not wrong, but they might have objections to trying to represent this. And I think it's kind of baked into the pie, how it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's bordering on tenable to do this. Um, I was, I was thought it was fantastic. Wonderful literary writing, uh, wonderful voice. I don't know what you do next. You probably don't do another second person one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second person really is a point here. Um, to try to do something where you just have four characters would be too limiting, right? That's kind of the, yeah. the other model you would do, that take four representative characters and follow their stories. But she's trying to be more ambitious than that, but also more vague than that. I don't know. It, it's, it's tricky. It's a very tricky really experience. It's really interesting. I picked it up. Um, I have a list of books that I'm interested in. And so I got this from our own daily deals one day, 2.99 bot. And so I just was, <laughs> when I was ready for it, it was sitting there for me. 
Um, and uh, yeah, Daphne Palasi Andretis is the name. Uh, nice. We'll link to all this in the show notes. And then next week, we'll be, I also read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, but we'll save that for the uh, Patreon discussion later. So there we go. Good, good, right. good work. Good reading. And that's our show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. You can email us, podcast at bookriot.com. And uh, if you're into the Patreon stuff, there's there you can listen to all the stuff we've done. It's there. If you're a subscriber, you can go. You don't have to be, you know, in March, you can still go listen. Or in July, you can listen to everything we've done there. We've done quite a bit at, at this point. There's there's quite a bit mm-hmm. of bonus stuff. Yeah. Um, I think by acclamation, people's favorite bonus thing we've done so far is our year 2000 power ranking. Yes, I think so too. I think it might be the most fun hour of podcasting we've done. <laughs> I I think so. And we've had some pretty fun hours, but that yes. one was a, a, a peak for sure. Yeah. I was eyeballing 1996 the other day, okay. just to put that out there to you. Um, that was like the early edge of my Oprah reading years. So <sighs> when did you graduate from high school? I was 14 in 1996. So you graduated, graduated in, in 2001. 2001. Mm-hmm. We can't, I don't know for this, we can go too much deeper into your high school experience, maybe a year or two. When yeah. did you graduate from college? So you graduated 2005. in 2005. Yeah. That would be a natural next fit. I'm in the middle of grad school. You're graduating mm-hmm. from college. Maybe 2005 would be a good one. Too. I don't even yeah, know. I don't have any, I haven't looked at it all. Anyway, so you can tell we're already scheming to do more of those. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Podcast. Rebecca, Rebecca, thank you so much as always. Thank <music> you.